We even have our lungs, and then we have the air in them because of you. Thank you for your creativity, your graciousness, your mercy, your kindness toward us in all that we do. Lord, would you please guide our thinking as we move through this service? I thank you so much for everyone who has contributed to what's going on with children, greeting, tech, production. Lord, we do our best, and we do it with the well, we're performing for an audience of one. So I pray that you're pleased. God, do a great work in our lives, in our family, our church, and our community. And I say it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, officially, to all of you. So good to see you here today. What a wonderful time of worship that was. couple of thoughts before we actually get into the message. At the 11th hour on the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918, that was 105 years ago yesterday, all the major hostilities ceased in the war to end all wars, as it was called. We now know it as World War I, because sadly... It wasn't the war that brought war to an end. In fact, there are scores of ongoing conflicts going on right now around the world. When evil rears its ugly head, we're instructed to overcome evil with good. To defend against evil's progression. And while we don't have any fancy videos... I have to say, as sincerely as I know how, if you have fought in any branch of the armed forces for the purpose that I just spoke of, and you did that on our behalf, I have to tell you, it's such simple words, but it carries a lot of weight with me, is I thank you for what you've done. Amen. I do. At the same time, I will also tell you, based on what I know from God's word and my own life experience, there will never be any truly lasting peace until God is seated at the conference table. But I will say, when he is given a place in any relationship between people, between nations... When he is given a place in any of those relationships, the one veteran of the true war to end all wars, and that is our battle against sin, that one true veteran is Jesus. And whenever he's brought into the mix, he brings peace with God. He brings peace within ourselves. And then he also gives us the power to make peace with other people. So thank you again, veterans. I appreciate it so much. We owe you an ongoing debt of gratitude. By what you've done, you've helped keep us free so that we can rise to challenges, both personal, family, community, all those things. I like to think of it today in that you've allowed us the freedom, you've defended that freedom to go out, work, earn some money, and maybe give some of that away. Church, I am so proud of you. Over the last, uh, what would it be, five weeks or so, 
I challenge you to do something uh, kind of extraordinary. And that is, you know, because we like to do things in a fitting and orderly way. And we're also messy. We called it the finish strong offering. Or if you caught me at another time, I called it the strong finish offering. Just make it whatever you want. It was based on the fact that we were given this particular facility, literally given the keys to this facility by a church that was a forerunner of ours. And we've tried to be good stewards of that. This beautiful auditorium and a lot of the equipment that we use to have an online campus, all of that, we have been investing in that. But the outside, just to be honest, if you've never been to the Cortez campus, if you look at it in the right angle, it looks like nobody lives here. Not that that should be our first goal in all things, is to just impress people and stuff. But at the same time, Jesus said, you know, if you're going to build a tower, count the cost so that you can see the project through. Okay? So the, the question became, is like, how can we button up, tighten up the outside, make it look like somebody actually lives here? So that that's not a roadblock to having people come in. It's like, well, I don't think they have their act together. We should... Besides that, we want to like make sure that this gift that we were given lasts as long as it possibly can so that we can continue to minister to as many people as possible with this tool because that's all that it is it is a, a tool in the toolbox of us doing ministry we have some folks who are part of rock springs who said you know what we want to challenge our church family and what we're going to do because god's blessed us in an extraordinary way is that we want to give a matching gift to maybe prime the pump to get that done not only to button up the outside to take care of the the roof on the other end at least uh for uh for a few more days i'm looking at a brother down here he was up on the the roof yesterday tightening screws and making sure that uh, we're doing all we can to keep it dry down there we also want to make it inviting for a children's area which that's happening in the hallways back there my goodness there are things happening everywhere you go all of that takes money because as they say love don't buy groceries okay so I'm not afraid to talk about the money, but this was a substantial gift. They said, you know what, we're capable of giving $20,000, but we want it to be a matching gift. In other words, we will match up to $20,000. And for those of you who aren't around finance a lot, I'm not either, but I think it's cool is that if you were to pop open your wallet right now and take out a $1 bill and you say, I want to give this toward this finish strong, strong finish, and let's see what we can do what that when you give that your one dollar becomes two that is fascinating especially if you look at the leverage that multiplication has because one dollar come becoming two is one thing but if you give 500 it becomes a thousand if you are so blessed to give a thousand it becomes two. Oh my goodness why wouldn't we want to take advantage of the full gift of twenty thousand dollars you say, well, how far have we gotten so far? I'm not going to tell you yet. <laughs> My point is, I want you to feel it with your heart and think about it with your head. I am not trying to coerce you. I will not twist your arm. But this is an exciting opportunity, and you would be blessed to take advantage of being a part of it. You may not know it, but in the sheetrock, the uh, that, that makes the back of the stage there are panels of sheetrock back there that have people's names on it because when we put them up there we wrote the names of people we want to come to know jesus or the people who want to come to know we want uh, them to know jesus better and honestly some of you are actually your name's probably on there 
this carpet that I stand on and that you're on right now, it comes in squares, and we, we challenged everybody to say, can you afford to buy a, 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 a square of carpet? And we wrote names on those too. Because you see, what we're trying to do here is trying to do things in a fitting and orderly way, but we're trying to reach more people and draw them into a relationship with Jesus Christ and then to grow them up to full spiritual maturity. And that includes you, includes me. But it also includes people who aren't here yet. There's no way to break this down particularly, other than I will say, do y'all want to know how much has already been given? Because, you know, we have like three more days till the stated goal is over to make this building last longer, serve people in more ways, to enhance the environment that the kids are in, to multiply. You know, the other thing we want to do with this money is to... to sorry? You say, oh, I, I am, but I'm not going to tell you yet. If we're able to reach the $20,000 goal, $20,000 on our side, which then is coupled with the $20,000 that was given as a matching gift, we have $40,000 to work with. That will allow us to button up the outside, do some work on the roof, help the kids' uh, area become more inviting, and it will allow us to bless our partners in the community, like Heart to Heart, because uh, we believe in a culture of life. We also will be able to help our food bank uh, that we participate in, the Good Sam the Good Samaritan Center, which is doing a great work. And we want to bless them in addition to what we already do. And we want to do it effectively. Why wouldn't we want to bless them like we've been blessed? I mean, could I get an amen on any of that? Yeah. Y'all want to know how much we've given? Okay, well, I'll, go, I'll go ahead and tell you. As of this morning, I didn't look uh, like 10 minutes ago, but... Um, as of this morning, we are at uh, 14700 and some odd dollars. Okay. I would say, way to go, y'all. Thank you. I would expect you to thank God that he's given you the ability to work, earn some money, and then give some of it away because he'll bless that. But I'm not too terribly good at the maths. But if we're going to reach that goal of 20, we still have about 5000 and change. Yes? Okay. I did do the maths on this one. I don't even have to look it up. Is that I figured with online, in person, we typically have about 60 families or 60 family units of some sort. Some of you are single, and God bless you, because that is a blessed place to be. Some of you are married. Some of you are married with kids at home that are earning some stuff. If every family unit uh, looked into that $5,000 and divided it and was like, we can't buy a square, we can't do sheetrock, but we can do this. If you got 75 bucks that's just burning a hole in your pocket, and 60 of us did that, we're there. I don't know if you've heard of it, but there's the Church Center app. I give you permission right now to open up your device, pull up the Church Center app, Tap on giving. There's even a thing, I don't know if it's finished strong or strong finish, but you get the point. You can direct $75 right there. You go, I feel like I'm being coerced, then don't give. But if you feel invited, like I want to give again. We've already given, I want to give again. Can you give 75? Can you give 750? I'm just saying, wouldn't it be cool that here 
on uh, this day and then on November the 15th when this is our official thing has come to an end, what if we actually surpassed 20,000? Could we honor God with that? You think God will bless? I think he will. And that's all I have to say about that. But I have, some, I have a lot to say, and we have, we have cool things to show off today as we turn our hearts and minds toward the Shadow King. Let's watch this. any stretch of the imagination. That's why I want us to look at it. If you haven't seen or uh, listened to what we talked about last week, I really encourage you to go back and catch that. The reason we're calling it Shadow King is a shadow becomes evident whenever you have light and you have a solid object. The whole story that we're telling you is a part of history and it is a recorded, uh, verifiable part of history. But the reason he's the Shadow King is that there is a light greater than him and there is someone even more solid than him. So this really is about Jesus. I will go back to David, though. There's so much narrative about him because the people who lived and worked during his time wrote about what he did. But the fact is, as that video pointed out, he was a poet and he wrote prose about stuff. He, he also uh, wrote song lyrics from him. We'll refer to those here in a little while. In terms of those historical figures that we can look at, it's really unparalleled to see someone who you have history about and history from. Remember, we're talking about a time frame of about a thousand years before Jesus showed up on the scene. We're talking about the ancient location and also the modern day location of Israel. The following part of this message is going to be rough, probably not as gruesome as last week. But here's one of those things that anytime you look at any kind of history, but particularly biblical history, and try to, um, you try to make assessments based on what you know versus what they were going through, I always caution you, I always encourage you, please beware of the arrogance of the present. These were real people going through real things with a certain amount of information. They were not dumb, they were not stupid, they were not primitive. They were human beings just like us trying to falter their way through life. Does anyone here feel like you sometimes are stumbling your way through life? Could I see a show of hands? Yeah, because we don't know what tomorrow holds. Where we left off last time is that David, at about 15 years old, has stepped into a situation in which he defeated and then, gruesomely, but don't judge it by what you know, he, was he has defeated and then he has decapitated Goliath. 
in order to prove that he has won the day. As I told you, he became more uh, famous than you could possibly imagine in his, uh, in his whole region. And that's whenever he started writing things like, In you, Lord my God, I put my trust and my hope is in you all day long. He knew that because he'd been studying God's word, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and he loved God's law. But he also came to the conclusion of saying, you know what, I cannot, no matter how hard I try, I can't control the outcomes in my life because I can't control all the variables. I will just step aside. You cannot control all the outcomes in your life because you do not have enough control over all the variables. But I'll step back into what David said. He said, but you, Lord my God, most certainly can. And that is what I'm going to stake my life on. Now, as the old saying goes, with great power comes great responsibility. That actually is from the Bible and not Spider-Man. But hey, we'll, we'll go with it. With great power, with great success, comes great responsibility. And I will also tell you from having lived as long as I have, with great success comes bigger giants. You say, well, how could you be bigger than a seven to nine foot giant? Uh, there are bigger giants than guys who are bigger than you. I will also tell you this, and it's from uh, a measure of success that I've had in my own life, but you can talk to others who've had greater success than me. Success is harder to manage than failure. And that applies even to success in your faith. Is anyone in this room a Christ follower? Could I see a show of hands? Have you served faithfully every turn, every day, every step of the way with Jesus? There are things that you've done, even though you are a faith-based person, there are things that you regret, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you're normal. Okay. You try your best to lean on God, and most days you do pretty good. Some days you just do not do well at all. I would tell you, you are extremely wise to use the strength that you have. Because, you know, you didn't originate it. The very muscles, the lungs, everything, everything about your life is given to you. You did not generate that and you did not sustain it. But you are given a measure of strength. And if you use that while you're relying on the God who gave you that power, you ought to do that because no matter what the variables, no matter what the circumstances may be, there may be some days in which the circumstances and the variables are so beautiful and they are so favorable and it's a mountaintop and you praise God from whom all blessings flow. Because don't forget that this whole thing is not about what you know, it's about who you know. It is very, it is, it's very relational. Trusting God is about a relationship. And you need to be leaning into Him all day long. And that's, tar the, that's the, hidden inside that statement is this target. Is can we learn to say, praise God from whom all blessings flow, even when things are everything except favorable. Or are we going to turn him into this cosmic genie in which we rub the magic Bible and we say we pray our three magic prayers and we want him to do what we want him to do? Will we continue to trust him even when the circumstances are anything but what we wanted? Because everybody in here has got a sad story and many of you have more than one. So I want to go ahead and give you this because some of you are going to go to sleep. I hate that, but... Hey, you can watch it later. Here's the bottom line, really, at the top, and that is trusting God seems unappealing. And trusting God seems irrelevant. 
when we are angry, alone, or afraid. I've been a Christ follower since I was 12 years old. That means I've been following Jesus for 50 years. There are mountaintop experiences I could tell you about, and He has blessed me richly. I've been through some struggles, I thought, in the past, and then this past couple of years, I have been through struggles I never ever dreamed I would ever experience. And I can tell you, straight up, I was angry because of what was happening to me. I was alone because people betrayed me, left me. And I don't have any shame in saying it. I was afraid. I was afraid of what was going to happen to Rock Springs, to me, everything. Trusting God in those moments, even though I am a dyed-in-the-wool follower of Jesus Christ, it seemed very unappealing. And I, like you, even though I teach you not to do it, I do it myself. When everything was falling apart, I had some prayers that I said to God. I have been faithful to you through this, 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 and this, and this is how I'm getting treated. I think this is a bit, un it's, it's irrelevant. I'd ask Leanne, do I have to go to church today? She said, well, you're the one giving the message. I would think you probably should be there. Okay. I'm just wanting you to know, this is not theory. This is experiential teaching today. But I'm just saying, those three conditions have extreme power to undermine what you may have built with the strength that God has given you. And I will say, because I've walked with a lot of people who've walked with God for a long, long time, these three things have power to undermine even the most dedicated, devout, and disciplined among us. This is the kind of thing, what I'm talking to you about right now is what causes men and women to crash through every moral and ethical boundary they may have set up for themselves. Because trusting God gets very unappealing and very irrelevant to us whenever we are extremely angry, when we feel like we are totally alone, and when we are afraid. In fact, I would bet if you're at least leaning into what I'm saying today, you are thinking about one of your greatest regrets, and you will be able to trace it back to either being angry, alone, or afraid. And if you're not careful, it's going to be a part of your future regrets too, because it doesn't stop. It's still true. Am I right? Okay, why is that? The reason is, is because when you're angry, alone, and afraid, you get panicked. And panicked people don't always do the smartest thing. Whenever you feel tension, you feel like you're about to break, everything gets very compelling and it gets very overwhelming. And then that's whenever you and I do this brainiac sort of thing. It's like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to do something. I'm just going to do something. And you're going, if you're standing on the outside of that, you go... Well, that's not very bright. I know. And yet, we feel like we have to do something. Just do anything. Which is often the very wrong thing. Because that's when we get in our heads that we ought to rely on our instincts and our smarts and our strengths. We often default back to what was easy, what has become muscle memory in our soul. Or, as we like to say, I just do what comes natural. Well, see, the thing is, if you come to Jesus, you're not natural anymore. You're supernatural. 
you'll often go back to what worked before because that doesn't take any faith. And then you wonder, how in the world did it go from bad to worse? There you go. Those are bigger giants to me. Bigger giants appear whenever you are accused of things that you are not guilty of. Bigger giants show up when you are attacked, blindsided. Bigger giants show up whenever you are isolated and you don't know what the truth is because God intended for us to live in community and yet you draw away. We all do. It hurts so bad, I'm going to draw away. We get afraid and then we get really prone to making decisions that complicate our lives. Because you know, a problem was a problem to begin with, but then we complicate it. Now it's more complicated. Now it's more painful. It's like poking yourself in the eye with a sharp stick. It doesn't make any sense, but for some reason we wind up doing stupid stuff like that. That is why I say over and over again, we are a colossal collection of moral fallops. And so is David. So is King David. You know, he's known for that one particular thing that he did that was off the rails. and Very complicated. That happened whenever he was in his 50s. But he also had this one, and, and you might not have heard this story before. This happened to him whenever he's in his mid-20s. This is seven or eight years after he has defeated Goliath. But for the last five to ten years, he is more famous and more influential than Elvis and Justin Bieber combined. <laughs> the guy who is king over Israel, his name is Saul. He may be king, but David's a legend. And he's only in his mid-twenties. He is a folk hero. Yes, Saul is the very first king of Israel, and he is head and shoulders taller than any guy he's around. But he is also extremely, extremely insecure, and he has a volatile personality. But I will tell you this, if you look into how uh, Saul participated and, 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 and engaged in life, he was no fool. What he did... Whenever he saw that David was a legend, as he, being the king, opened a few doors so that David could have more influence, and he opened the door for David so he could at least keep his thumb on him so he could control him. So he puts David in charge of at least a part of his army, Saul's army. Then he's like, hey, have you met one of my daughters? I want you to marry one of my daughters. Because then you'll be a part of the all in the family. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. David, of course, declines the proposal toward marriage. He later falls in love with another one of Saul's daughters, but that's, that's, a, that's a different story. Her name's Michael, by the way. He did become Saul's son-in-law, so get that in your mind. Saul is king. David's a legend. David marries one of his daughters. He's a son-in-law to the king. Then Saul allows his own son, whose name is Jonathan, to befriend David. Not because he was just all jovial and wanted to make friends. That way, through his son, he can keep tabs on where David is and what he's doing. And all of that, all of that is built in. That's what Saul is all about. All of that starts to backfire on Saul because David is still so influential. Much more detail. You should read the Bible. It's fascinating. You go through his life over these next few years and David somehow falls out of favor 
with his father-in-law, king. Because see, here David used to be, a well, he still is a musician, but Saul, like, you know, let's have a party, I'll do a little drinking, you do a little playing of the stringed instruments, and we're going to have a great time, okay? He said, come and study with me. One of those times when Saul was not in his right mind, and David was playing some song, I guess he played a song that Saul didn't like, because Saul picked up a spear and tried to pin David to the wall during the chorus. I don't guess he liked that repeated chorus. Then Saul says, you know what, you'd do a special assignment for me as a warrior. Hoping that David would get injured or killed while he was out there, but David will always come back with a win because David's star just keeps on rising. So Saul secretly tries, he goes and tries to arrest David. But every time he sends his guys out to arrest David, the attempt is foiled. And the reason is that Jonathan... Saul's son, but David's best friend, alerts David to the fact that he's about to be arrested. And whenever it wasn't Jonathan alerting, Michael, Saul's daughter, would inform him that it was about to happen. You think your family was dysfunctional? Then all of this comes to a boil at family dinner one night. Because isn't that the way it goes? Everybody's invited to dinner, and David decides to not show up, which is a wise move, because would you have an appetite if you were around this guy? Saul looks at Jonathan while they're sitting there at the family dinner. He says, Jonathan, where's David? And Jonathan covers for David one more time. And Saul, being no dummy, he senses it. He realizes that his whole family is conspiring against him. This is a, like a PG-13 or even R-rated passage right here. 1 Samuel 20, verses 30 and 31. At this gathering, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. You don't have to be into Bible translation to understand what he just said. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse, won't even name his you wouldn't even call him David, sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you. And as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom, Jonathan, will be established. Do you understand? You have no legacy. So, now, send somebody to bring him to me, for he must die. Okay, Jonathan finds and warns David, who's maybe 23, 20, you know, somewhere around there, 25 years old. David is alone because every, every structure that is built supposedly to support him has dropped out from underneath him. He is alone. He is afraid for his life. Yes, he is a warrior, but a warrior knows he's got to hide sometimes. He knows he's been rejected. He feels abandoned by the men who are supposed to be his comrades. He has been abandoned by the nation that he literally has bled for, and he has done nothing wrong. He is isolated, he is angry, he is afraid, and he panics. He reacts just like you and I do, and he kicked into survival mode, and that's when David does the unthinkable. In his right mind, he would not have done this. 
we're, we're, we're flying above his story at about 30,000 feet, and we can see it from start to finish. He's literally at ground level, and he's trying to live it, and he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. We ask, David, why in the world would you run? Why would you compromise? Why would you panic? Which is always easy to ask whenever you don't feel isolated, alone, you know, alone, afraid, or angry. See, it's funny that you and I can look at a story like this and it's so clear for us. So clear. And we can, we can say all kinds of things about other people in the room. But we have a hard time seeing this stuff in the mirror. And, you know, just because I love you, you know, there's probably somebody thinking the same about you right now. You can see it in you if you look back, right? I mean, that's what they say, hindsight's twenty twenty. Why did I go there? Why did I make that call? Why did I spend that money that I didn't have? Why did I say yes to that? And I'll bet it's because you're angry, alone, or afraid. Or all three. Anyway, David was angry. He was alone. He was afraid. He ran. We're, we're picking up in 1 Samuel chapter 21, a few verses here and there. I love this. It tells us the specifics of what went on. David went back to Nob. Everybody just say Nob. Nob. See? It's easier than saying Ahimelech. Okay? But Ahimelech was the priest who served at this town called Nob. Now, you got to get some background. Jerusalem wasn't the capital of Israel at this time. The capital of Israel actually moved around. Anytime the Ark of the Covenant, any of you seen Indiana Jones? And, okay, yeah. At least you're on target with what, okay. That's not real. The Bible, yeah, okay. The center of Israel was wherever the ark was, wherever the tabernacle that, uh, that, that contained the ark, wherever it was. And it moved from time to time to different places so that it could be in the safest place in Israel. So David went to Nob because that's where it was, and Ahimelech the priest, and he talks to Ahimelech. Ahimelech trembled whenever David walked in. He trembled. The priest was going, what in the world are you doing here? In fact, he asked, why are you alone and why is no one with you? Because he is a warrior and he's got men who are supposed to be at his command. Verse 2. David answered Ahimelech the priest. Let me just go ahead and give you a spoiler. He lies. Straight up lies. This is weird because David's against lying because he, lo- he, he loves the law of God even whenever it convicts him that he is doing the wrong thing. This is how bad he's having a hard day. Why did he lie? Because he was afraid. So, so much for the ways of God. <laughs> David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king... Saul sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about this mission. It's like a 007 sort of thing. No one's to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. And as for my men, well, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. In fact, they're out there. You just can't see them. Okay? When in fact the lie was he had no men with him. He was running He lied to the priest because he was afraid that Ahimelech wouldn't help him. And he said, I desperately need some help. But that lie will be very, very costly. Verse 3. That's when David says, okay, we don't have time for small talk. He says, what do you have on hand? What kind of supplies have you got around here? 
give me the five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. He's talking about there would be sacred bread inside the tabernacle that was a part of the worship. And David knew what was going on. And the priest answered David, well, I don't have any ordinary bread around here, but I've got the bread of the consecrated bread here provided the men. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you and to your men uh, provided the men have kept themselves from women. Provided your men haven't had sex in recent days. That's a part of the priestly thing. Okay. So every Sabbath they put the bread on the altar to God and when it was replaced then the priest would have uh, access to it and they would eat it. All of that was, they could only do that if they were ceremonially clean. But David's making stuff up as he goes. He is depending on his own smarts, his own ingenuity. He is playing the angles to get his needs met. But what he forgot in that moment, and maybe you need to be reminded too, is that what God has the power to arrange, he has the power to sustain. Where God guides, God provides. But at the times when you feel alone and angry and afraid, you forget that. Because remember, this is the same guy who took down Goliath in his faith. But taking down Goliath wasn't about David, it was about God. And how powerful and trustworthy he is. And he should have known. David should have known. What you need to know is no matter what kind of giant you're facing, your best posture is always to be reluctant, confident, and humble. But where was that? Where was that now? Because I'm angry. I'm alone. I'm afraid. God, why is this happening to me? You are very irrational, and this is very unappealing right at the moment. He reverted to the same thing that you and I will often say, and that is, if it's to be... It is up to me. Mm, mm, mm. So, verse 6, So the priest gave him the consecrated bread. He's lying through his teeth in order to get fed. Can you imagine him looking at that loaf of bread? What happened to the guy that said, In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long. And he's looking at that bread like, My hope is in me. And then the, then the story gets even more intense. David, after, you know, had gotten a mouthful and swallowed that, David asked Ahimelech, <clears throat> he said, you don't happen to have a spear or a sword around here, do you? Y'all understand how weird this is? This is a guy who's supposed to be the premier fighting guy. He said, I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. It's like, you don't lie very good. I just want you to know, the call went out, <laughs> and I got from one friend, this was more like the sword that David would have carried. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> I'm just telling you. Although I wouldn't want to fight with it, because like I said, that is not too far from my enemy right there. But let's just say, David would have had that. Here, here listen, listen. He's lying. He said, I need a spear, I need a sword. For whatever reason, I had to leave really fast. I don't have any of that gear with me. <laughs> Okay, that's when Ahimelech replies and says, Well, the, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. You had it for a while, but it became a national treasure, and now I get to keep it near the ark. You do remember that sword, right? Because you got Goliath's sword and cut off his... Remember that part? He said, I've got it. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, you can take it. But there's no other sword here but that one. Okay, another friend provided me with this. Which, 
to my way of thinking, considering what we know about Goliath's armor, I'm just telling you, It was wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. That's what we're calling the keyboard now. <laughs> now that's a sword. And if y'all didn't if y'all didn't hear it when I rolled it over, it's heavy. I'm glad I don't have to fight with this one either. But can you imagine Ahimelech going back there and unrolling this? This is, you used this once before, I guess you can use it again. Just like us, I am pretty sure that David's mind went just like a movie. That rush of memory, he remembers 15 years old that afternoon, wanders into no man's land, challenges a giant, I've got it in your notes. And he said, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. What happened to that clear-eyed, courageous, God-fearing, faith-filled young man? Where's the guy who ran into the battle believing that God could take care of this? Where is the guy who refused to run away? Why is that guy running when the bigger and more personal giants showed up, is it possible that fear and anger and loneliness are actually bigger giants than what you and I say? Because like I said, all three of those have the potential to bring doubt, to undermine our trust in God. It's the thing that causes us to forget that He has been faithful, God has been faithful in the past. And even with a tangible reminder... The literal tangible reminder standing or sitting or he's, he's holding it. He still says, I'm going to go down this path because I think it makes the most sense right now. And yet it was so foolish and so disastrous. It will be a decision. That moment is a decision that he will regret for the rest of his life. Because it became a permanent part of his story. Verse 9. <laughs> We're back at the ranch. Ahimelech says, here's this sword. Brings it out, and David says, there's none like it. Give it to me. He got scared because he felt attacked. He got angry because there were painful, very painful circumstances. He ran like crazy to get away from Saul. He lied to get his needs met. And he takes matters into his own hand. He takes a sword, a flawed weapon, and he uses it as a flawed response, and that leads to a disastrous outcome. And there we are, right where his story intersects ours, right? You've got your regrets. Well, they're the same kind of things he had. Here's the thing I found is that when we need God the most, we are least likely to lean into that. We opt for things that don't work. They didn't get us where we wanted in the past, and yet we will buy into them. You can see this kind of behavior in somebody else, but it's so hard to see in the mirror. Why? Because you have convinced yourself that nobody's hurt like you've hurt, that no one's been attacked like you are being attacked, that your situation is different. No one understands. If God was really with me, then this would not be happening. That's what David thought, because if God were with me, then this wouldn't be happening to me. I found it's easy to trust God when you have nothing to trust Him for. 
If you're a new Christ follower, maybe you are like me though. Maybe you came to Jesus whenever you were young at church camp. You meant it whenever they sang, I surrender all. I do surrender all. It is sincere, but it's so easy. Because you as a teenager have so little to trust God with or for. He will take whatever you give him. But I'm just saying, when life becomes more substantial, it gets harder to say to God, I surrender all. Because then you have stuff that has immense value, people, things. My point is, is when things are going great, it's easy to sing and pray and serve. But it's not so easy to do those things when you feel that you are angry, alone, or afraid. Y'all getting what I'm laying down here? Okay. So David takes this Goliath sword, he flees, and guess where he goes? He goes to Goliath's hometown. Because that makes a lot of sense. He goes and hangs out with the Philistines in Goliath's hometown. Oh, the things we do whenever we feel like we are angry, alone, or afraid. Obviously, the Philistines do not trust him. They cannot figure out what his angle is. David somehow comes to some measure of realization that he's done something really, really dumb and crazy. So to get out alive, you can read this. The Bible is fascinating. You should read it for yourself. David fakes insanity. He starts scratching at himself and at the wall and starts slobbering and drooling at the mouth so they'll think that he's crazy. The Philistine king does not like having someone like him around. He sends him out, but at least he's still got his head. So David runs and hides out in a cave. Once he's there and comes to terms with himself and with God, he goes back and finds Ahimelech. And he says, this time I'm not here to lie. I'm asking you, please, on my behalf, would you ask God what I am supposed to do? So David does the right thing. He reconnects with God, but the damage that he has set in motion is already done. Because, see, here's the thing that you cannot control all of your outcomes. Saul's chief herdsman, the guy who looks after all the king's sheep, his name is Doeg. Let's just say that for fun. Doeg! Well, three of us did that. That's good. Come on, let's all do it. Doeg! Doeg saw David when he came to visit with Ahimelech the priest, and so he goes back to his boss Saul, and Doeg reports incorrectly, inaccurately, he reports what he saw. In 1 Samuel 22, verse 10, Doeg said, Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for David. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech and all the men of his family who were the priests at Nob, and they all came along to go and have a, 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 a visit with the king. Verse 13, Saul said to Ahimelech, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and he lies in wait for me as he does today? Why have you betrayed me? Ahimelech answered the king from a great place of authenticity. He said, who of all the servants is as loyal as David to you? Who is more loyal than David? He is the king's son-in-law. He is the captain of your bodyguard. And he is highly respected in your household. Who? I don't understand what you're saying, king. 
He said, was the day that I first, in, the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for the servant knows, your servant, talking about himself, your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. Did Saul hear what he had to say? No. The king said to him back, he said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. And then the king turned and ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. Those guards refused. Doeg steps up, volunteers. He gets a promotion, I guess. 85, 85 priests were killed. And then everyone in Nob, men, women, and children, killed every one of them except for one. One of Ahimelech's sons. And he flees to David and he reports. Can you imagine sitting down tell David this? After hearing the report, David is broken and he says what is absolutely true. He says, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. See, we take matters into our own hands because in that moment it feels really, really good, but it rarely turns out good. Maybe you're thinking thus far in the message because this feels like I'm all up in your business. Did somebody call you and tell you about my life? No. Because it's common to every single one of us. Isolation, anger, fear. It always pushes us to do stuff we shouldn't do. It's the thing that causes us to do things while the warning light's going off on the, on the dashboard of our life. We use our strength. We rely on us and our smarts. We attempt to control all the variables, but we cannot do that. So here's some questions, because you know, I want it to be applicable to you. What is your fear? Where is your anger? What is causing you to feel isolated? What is tempting you to consider doing things that you've actually not even considered before? It might be something relationally. It might be something financially. It might be something physically, vocationally. What is, what, what is it that is causing you to turn back to your dumb ideas and think they're a good option? What if this sword, these swords, this feeble message is actually a wake-up call to you? And what if all that I'm talking about isn't just about you? What if others will be deeply wounded because of what you decide foolishly to do? So you got to ask yourself, who else is at risk if I mishandle my anger, my isolation, or my fear? What advice would you give to someone who's in the same spot that you are? What advice would you give to you if you were sane in this moment? You and I think that we're the exception to the rule, but we're not. Now, every one of us, online campus, in-person campus, I'm just telling you, everybody's unique. You are a one-of-a-kind special, but your experiences are not unique. They're common. Well-worn path. We all know people, and we are those people. 
It's just such a gift, though, if you stop and think, we have a lot written about this guy, but we have a lot that's written by this guy, David. Because we know from the narrative, we know what happened to him, but we also, years later, know how he felt about it. In Psalm 9, he wrote this, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Does that psalm come alive a little bit more for you when you realize who wrote it and why? He's saying from the deepest part of his experience, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. He's a refuge. He is a refuge. Not a chemical, not a drug, not more alcohol, not an illicit affair, not another person. He is the refuge. Not not a lot of debt, not getting a new car. He's the refuge. And he's a stronghold, a place that you can flee to. And the going gets tough. God, a relationship with him, is that refuge. I'm here to tell you, this David is telling you, that is the truth. You can run to him when you are oppressed and troubled. And like David would say, I took refuge in my ability to out control the outcomes, and the outcome was a disaster. But then in verse 10, he says, Those who know your name, Lord, trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Listen, this is, this, is the home, this is the home stretch. Listen, listen, listen. David would have said, and in so many words he did, I thought I was forsaken. I thought this wouldn't be happening to me if God was actually with me. I thought, I felt forsaken. But now that I look back, I realize, I, I, I look back, I realize I was not forsaken. God was with me. I felt forsaken, but I was mistaken. And he would say to you, and I hope he's saying to you through God's word today, don't make the same mistake I did. Because now, about a thousand years after David, David's most famous descendant is born in the city that is named after David, also known as Bethlehem. He goes into, this most famous descendant of David, he goes into all parts of Israel and he gazes into the frightened, angry, abandoned eyes of the Israelites. And he had the audacity to lean into them and say, come and see. Come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And if you come to me, you will find rest for your soul. Is Jesus who he says he is? Will he do what he said he will do? Same question every time. I have no doubt that there is somebody who's heard what I had to say today that feels forsaken, isolated, and just completely eaten up with fear. You feel like life is so hard and you feel like it is so difficult. 
Be honest. Do you feel forsaken? I'm going to tell you as nicely as I know how. You may feel forsaken, <laughs> but my friend, you are mistaken. God is with you. He is for you. You belong here. Now, some of you have never bowed the knee to Jesus. You've never said, you know what? I am a part of that colossal collection of moral fallops, but I desperately need forgiveness of my disobedience, my rebellion, my sin. I want so much to know what my purpose is, and I want to know that my life will never have an end. And Jesus says, I am ready, I am willing, and I am able. But you have, to, you have to let me drive. You have to let me be in charge. It will require you to repent, to turn away from what you thought, and follow my way. It will require you replacing thoughts that you once had with truth. It will, re it will require you to learn day by day by day how to trust me. But it is your choice. I would say, final comments, I beg, I dare, I plead, I challenge you. Stop running away from God and turn around and run to him. He is the one hope that you have. I think moments of commitment are huge, and I think you ought to make declarations that you stick up on your bathroom mirror, on the dashboard of your truck, or wherever the you... You make that declaration and you make it day after day. I put it there in your notes. My declaration of trust is when I feel forsaken, I am mistaken, so I won't run. What I will do is I will remember. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Okay. Yes, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed and a stronghold in times of trouble, but it's even better than that. That's why I put it there in your notes. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. My stronghold. Don't let this just be a Bible story. Make it a part of your story. He will be my stronghold in times of trouble. And gang, church, that's all I got to say about that today. May you be blessed because of it. Would you come? I mean, would you come to the Lord in prayer with me? I'm going to lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to get into your word. It is absolutely fascinating. What a gift that you have given us to be able to look at your word, what happened in history, what the players felt and thought because of it. I thank you so much for David. I thank you that you showed us the days that went really good and I thank you so much that you showed us all the flaws and Lord I thank you so much that you honored him by calling him a man after your own heart and you did that because while you did make him a king he always realized he was never the king so Lord in this moment we got king choices to make who are we going to make the king me you it's your kingdom it's already here i want it to be even more here in my heart i want to be a subject in your kingdom i want the people in our church to surrender to you even more with our finances our emotions our relationships our our fear lord we want to bring all of that anger all the isolation all that to you and trust you and say, praise God from whom all blessings flow on the good days and the bad days. 
And Lord, for my friends today who've taken their very first step to trust you today, we want to welcome them into your kingdom and we want to help them grow to full spiritual maturity. In the meantime, Lord, would you take all the mess, all the ruins of our life and do amazing things in it and through it. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing.